You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, before we get started this morning, what a season that we are in at the moment. To think that this time last week we were at $8,000 for Madagascar and in the space of one Sunday we hit uh, 26000 plus. Uh, from that figure that we had posted in the Northside News, there was uh, another 1000 and a bit come through and then uh, someone else... Uh, quietly donated another thousand and then one of the girls on team from her work had another couple of thousand come in. So God is moving in the most incredible ways, right, in this place. And I don't know about you, but it's not just the Madagascar stuff. It's been the baptisms that we've seen in here. It's been the way that we've put out the call to service and people have uh, stepped into new areas of service. We had a couple that I, I wondered where they might have been at with church and I was going to give them the old pastoral call to see how everything's going and I get a letter from them through the website saying, hey, we want to serve. We want to, we want to open our house to a connection group. And I'm going, Lord, man, what is happening here? And we've got one of our guys here who's just started up running a Christianity Explained group on Friday nights for mainland Chinese. And he has been partnering with another one of the girls from Northside here, and she's been translating for him uh, to this group. And they've just been doing life with a bunch of people that are non-Northsiders and just hanging out on a Friday night. And he said, Sam, can we do this? And I went, well... We're not using the urban garden for anything else. They're the youth are downstairs, but yeah, if they've got teenagers, send them down to youth and we'll do that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just, we can't wait over the coming months to be sharing these stories with you guys about the way that God is moving among us. And the team is just, we're, we're just going out of our minds, aren't we, Mikey, in terms of the, the way that stuff is happening here? It's, it's, it's an exciting time to be part of Northside. So, um, so keep your eyes open, guys, at what God is doing amongst us. Um, let me pray, because we're going to talk about wisdom, and I don't have any, so uh, we're going to get it from the Lord. <laughs> Father, uh, this is your book, and this is your wisdom. And so just help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to, to expound this and to deliver this. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just a male boy, and uh, I'm just asking that you would deliver it to us, that hearts and ears would be open right now for those that would receive it. And that, Father, we might dare to believe that these seeds of wisdom being sown have the power to change us uh, for the rest of our lives. So we come with that expectation this morning, Father, to hear from your word. And we pray this now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, lots of people always ask me, um, Pastor, what is God's will for my life? It's always a, it's a great part that comes with the job, isn't it? Of course, I'm going to know what God's will for your life is. And what I've said last week was, I wonder half the time is, are you asking because you want to please God? Or are you asking because you actually lack wisdom to connect the dots of what the next steps in your life are? Nine out of ten times I would say it's because you're feeling the tension of that lack of wisdom. How do I make a right decision when there are multiple right decisions? We learned last week that wisdom then is being competent with the complex realities of life and it consists of insight on one hand, binar, insight, you have to understand what the realities of life are, but then you have to take that insight and you have to be able to apply that appropriately. So to sum it all up, I said that the insight is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in fruit salad. Wisdom's been able to deal with the complex realities of life. Now, we might laugh and chuckle, but there's more to steak at life than fruit salads, right? 
Who do I marry? Do I get married? Should I stay? Should I go? Should I move? Should I say something? Should I withhold? Should I attack? Should I defend? Do I shut up? Do I advance? And the question for us and the tension for us is what do we do when we come to understand and feel that the rules in life, moral rules, moral goodness, doesn't help you in about 90% of life situations, right? Life is complex. Life is messy. Life is upside down half the time. And so a big part of wisdom is being able to take this insight and being able to then fit it all into the right buckets because a right word and a right action in the wrong context can lead to disaster. It could blow you up. It could blow your friends up. And we get that when it comes to wisdom. And that's why as a church we are looking at wisdom in this season. practical example is we know in our hearts that Northside will change. We know, know in our hearts that Northside has to change as we seek God's vision for this place. Yet we all know that when you're going through change, whether it be in your own life or as an organisation, there's always going to be some things that shouldn't change and stay the same, and then some things have got to change slowly, and some things have got to change quickly. But the challenge is, which things do I change quickly, and which things do I change slowly, and which things stay the same? And that's where we get to the heart of why we first as a church need wisdom rather than vision. A lot of people going, oh, what's, what's the team's vision for the church? What's Sam's vision for the church? Uh, it's going to be our vision, God's vision for Northside. And that's going to be coming. But first, we need wisdom because getting the right things into the right buckets at the right time is the difference between breaking everyone up or breaking yourself up or destroying what you have or, on the other hand, allowing it to flourish and just explode. That's why we need wisdom. And so when it comes to the complexities of life, the Bible says the main thing that you need is not a technique, but you actually need wisdom to deal with the complexities of life. And so the question this morning is, we looked at what it was last week, being competent with the complexities. This week we're looking at, well, how do I get it? We up for that? How do I get it? A lot of people, they're here at 5am in the morning because they knew that we would be preaching this this morning. Here's what we'll see. You've got to determine your approach to wisdom. Then you've got to get the steps to wisdom, get a couple of steps to wisdom. And then you've got to enter the context for wisdom. So the approach, the steps, the context, the approach to wisdom. Now, say that I go and take you to a room. It's concrete. It's pretty dull, boring paint. There's a flickering fluoro light. There's a bed. It's simple. There's a blanket on it. And I go in there and I say to you, here's your honeymoon suite. Or I take you to the same room, I fling open the door, the concrete, the floor, I light the bed, and I say, here's your prison cell. Are you going to react differently? Of course you're going to react differently. You see, because your expectations are controlling how you experience the very same circumstance. So in other words, your approach to the room dictates how you're going to react to it. And that's why first we have to look at your approach to wisdom, before we even talk about how you get wisdom, you need to ask, how's my approach? Because when people want to get wisdom, they say, this is great. Yeah, okay, I want to get wisdom. I've got the notebook out. I'm writing it down. Okay, give it to me. Five steps. And then they say, how do I get wisdom? And I'm saying to you this morning, you get it painstakingly slowly. Verse 6. Bit of exegesis here. 
In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. When you read through the book of Proverbs time and time again, you'll see that it talks about life as a pathway. That it's a path. Wisdom is, and here's what it's meaning. Wisdom is a pathway, not a door. Walking a pathway is done by steady, repeated, boring, repetitive, small actions. In other words, who you become right becomes a byproduct of some minute micro decisions all throughout your life. Little choices, little attitudes, little disciplines. And life, according to the Bible, is this long road of left, right, left, right, left, right. Because it's saying wisdom is a pathway, not a door. And so how well is this going to go in Dimmicks this week if I wrote Life is a Pathway, Not a Door? You know, there are row after row of books there in the self-help section. You know, I went to Dimmicks. I said, can you point me to the self-help section? And the guy said to me, if I do that, it would defeat the purpose. <laughs> I had nothing to do with the sermon. I just wanted to tell the joke. But... <laughs> But you know what the books look like in the self-help section, right? You know, you know, how, how, how to achieve success in five days. How to flourish in seven easy steps. How to conquer the world in our five-step plan. Now, my question to you this morning is, what is your approach going to be? Are you approaching wisdom as a door or as a pathway? Because the world's wisdom, world's wisdom says wisdom's a door, it's a technique, it's a 10-step plan at Dimmicks. The Bible says, no, it's micro steps, left, right, left, right, left, right. And more practically, now this is so important to us because this is the nature of our society. Here's how else you could sum up the approach to wisdom. A fool, says the Bible, a fool is someone who tries to conform reality to themselves. A wise per- person, says the Bible, is someone who tries to conform themselves to reality. You see the difference? A fool tries to conform reality to yourself. Dallas Willard says, reality is what you run into when you're wrong. But a, a wise person, and this is how all the ancients always talked about it, let's understand reality, let's understand God's pattern for this, this is what we learned last week, let's understand how all of this works, and I need to conform myself to that. One, one is a door, one's a pathway of the micro steps. That's the approach. Can you see the difference? You see why the approach is so important? Now, the question is then, how do we get wisdom? If you've got to get your approach right first, do you want a technique or a pathway this morning? But if you're after the pathway, here are the steps on the pathway, the steps to wisdom. The first one is that you need to grasp the love of God. First one is you grasp the love of God. Verse 3, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your, your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. The love and faithfulness there that Proverbs is talking about is the word chesed. It's the industrial strength, unbreakable love of God. And so what Proverbs is saying to you this morning is that it's not just enough to know that love, God loves you. If you want wisdom, you need to pound that deep into your heart. You have, to, you have to get that. You have to sense it. Now, why do we need to sense it? Look, I'm sure you've never done this before. But have you ever noticed how an unwise person comes into the complexities of life and they start making decisions based on, I don't know, their emotions? 
Or they start making decisions based on trying to garner a sense of superiority over the other person. Or they make a decision actually out of inferiority. That they make all these decisions coming out of who they are. They make decisions around self-preservation. You know, how do people like that end up? They end up like a helium balloon in a tornado. But wise people, on the other hand, they have an unshakable inner gravity about them, don't they? A wise person, when they come to the complexities of life situations, there's a deep centeredness about them, a deep calm in the storm. They're, they're, they're not a helium balloon, they're like a sailboat who is keeled in the love of God. You know what a keel is, right? On a boat, a keel stops it from tipping over. But more importantly, when you are killed, when there is a gravity, when there is a weightiness because of the reality of God's love in your life, not only do you not tip over when the wind blows, but it's the very thing that makes you go better. <laughs> now, are you a helium balloon or are you killed in the love of God? You've got to make the love of God real to you. How do you do that? Left, right, left, right, left, right. You need the disciplines. You need prayer. You need meditation. You need worship. You need community. And people are going, oh, here we go again, all that sort of churchy stuff. Hey, is, is wisdom a pathway or a door? So for you and I this morning, the problem is not knowing that God loves us. We all know that God loves us. It's just it's not real to us. I was just thinking then, here's what I mean by real, not, not the notes. I was, I was sitting there during communion and... My dad's a couple of rows back in the congregation and I can smell his aftershave. <laughs> and the love of the Father became real to me. I sensed his presence. I know dad loves me. But when, when I moved into that, when I, 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 I felt, you know, that feel, it was, it, was, it was deep now in the heart than just the head. He was present to me. That's what meditation and prayer and worship do. We're sniffing the aftershave of God here. You need to do this because our problem is not knowing that God loves us. It's making that knowledge real. That's the first step. You've got to grasp the love of God. But here's the second step. You need to grasp who you are. Verse 5, verse five of Proverbs 3 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Another great verse in number 7 do not be wise in your own eyes. Bluntly, let's just, let's just talk real here. Bluntly, the biblical principle of Proverbs is this. If you think that you're wise, you're a fool. And if you get a sense that you're foolish, then you're actually wise. <laughs> that is the upside down nature of God's word and of Proverbs. If you think that you're wise, you're a fool, says Proverbs. And so being wise, as we learned last week, is having insight into reality from last week. It's understanding that oil heaters are hot. It's understanding the reality of life. But most importantly, it's not only understanding the realities of life, but as we expand on this, wisdom is understanding who you are. You know, uh, what, are what are my flaws? What are my deep challenges what are my blind spots what are my sins what are my sensitive spots what are my areas of foolishness all the sorts of stuff that your mum or your dad's been telling you for years <laughs> and you know the uh, the irony is that that we can never really be told what those flaws are you need to be shown 
That's why, look, we don't major on having to drum it into you what your sins are. I'm perfectly aware of what my sins are in church on a Sunday morning. But more importantly, you're not going to learn by getting told by the preacher or by someone else or your mother or your father. You have to be shown. That's why experience is such a valuable part of life because reality is what you run into when you're wrong. So in other words, unless you come to a clear grasp of your flaws and your own brokenness and your blind spots and the ways you're acting, you're, you're always going to be making foolish decisions. And so the second step to wisdom is a daily, ruthless self-examination internally. Now, here's, here's why this is important not to do it by yourself. Here's why we talk about doing community. Here's why we talk about doing small groups. Here's why we talk about having mentors in your life, about being accountable. Because the Bible says the fool is an individualist. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. So in other words, get, what, get the eyes of the people you trust around you to speak into your life. And that's how you can ensure that your self-examination is fruitful. And so the wise on one hand, are not only, they not only practice ruthless self-examination, but they actually foolishly invite others in to examine them also. They dare to go into community. They dare to open up. They dare to be accountable to people. Now, can you see here why it's so absolutely critical that you have step one down first? You've got to grasp what the Lord says about you. You've got to grasp the love of God. You've got to understand who he is because if you don't grasp the love of God and how much he loves you, you are never going to be able to do step two because you're just not going to have the resource to look inside yourself. You're going to deny it. You're going to avoid it. You're not going to want to go near it. You're not going to want to think about flaws unless you know through the promise of his word that you are holy and dearly loved, that you are his precious child, that you are perfect in his sight. Then you can move into step two. So not only do you need to grasp who he is, but you need to understand who you are. The third step is that you need to master the master plan. Verse one, master plan. So we've got any architects here? Bill Watson's around somewhere, but uh, you know, master plan, the blueprint. You've got to understand the ultimate blueprint. This is what verse 1 is here. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. It's God's blueprint, my teaching. Now, just a little bit of background here. Proverbs says, My son, because we believe that it was, it was like a mentor writing to a boys' school. So you could translate that, uh, my, you could say my child, but my son is more appropriate for the context that we're talking about here in Proverbs. My son, obey my teaching. The teaching word here, the Hebrew word, word there is Torah. Anyone ever heard that word before? Of course. It's, it's the Jewish word for Bible, for God, God's law. And so you must obey my God's law. It's saying you must obey my master plan. You see, it's one thing to grasp the love of God and to grasp who you are, but you need to grasp his master plan. And here's why. Here's why. Because are you trying to conform reality to yourself or are you trying to conform yourself to God's reality? You won't get that sense of what God's reality is if you don't go to the master plan. And here's, for example, what it looks like, verse 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops. Give God the first bit of everything that you have. 
Now, that's not wise from the world's point of view. Here's what it looks like. There's a couple here, one of our Northsiders. They went and engaged a financial planner. And when the financial planner went through all the numbers of their budget at home, they got a massive shock. They turned to them and said, do you realize how much you give away to your church? Do you realize what you could do with this? This is how you can save your house deposit. This is how you can be a bit more free in life. Are you sure about this? That's the world's wisdom. God's master plan says, no, honour the Lord with your first fruits because the Bible is constantly cutting against the sort of advice that you're going to get from your financial planner. And in fact, it's going to cut across the sorts of advice you get from Oprah and Dr. Phil and all the rest of them. See, Oprah, Dr. Phil, the Bible, Jesus, we're all talking about the same thing, emotions, wealth, family, Which master plan are you going to live by? You've got to understand the master plan because when you get to the moment and the financial planner challenges you, you're not going to want to feel like honouring God with your first fruits. Whoa, I do give that much. I never realised that. We just normally pray and Mikey does the offering talk and it's EFT and, okay, yeah, it's significant. You've got to... You've got to Honour the master. You've got to grasp the master plan. They're the steps. But here finally, as we finish up this morning, it's not just about your approach. It's not just about some of those steps. But there's actually a context for wisdom that is almost like, it's like a bit of fishing line and needle through the beads that are the steps of wisdom in order to hang this stuff around your neck, if you get the analogy. I mean, if you don't have this next piece now, then it doesn't really matter in some respects whether you're grasping God, whether you know yourself, or whether you're mastering the master plan because this thing is the thing that threads the whole lot together. And in fact, there are Christians that do those things in varying orders and varying degrees, and they're not wise because it's not just about the approach or the steps. There's a context for wisdom here that ties it all together. Verse 11. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Here's what discipline means. Do do not despise the Lord's discipline. What it means is if you want to have wisdom, you need to move into the context where you allow someone or something to cut across your will. That's what discipline is. And the the principle there determines whether you want to treat wisdom as a technique or a pathway. You see, why do people hire personal trainers? I've talked about it in this context before. Why do people hire personal trainers? Because they understand that there's a big difference between hiring a personal trainer and grabbing the latest copy of Men's Health or Women's Health and trying to act out the 10 top tips to get you fab and fit this summer. People know that the techniques often fail, and they, so they go and get a personal trainer. Why, why do the techniques fail? Because when you approach wisdom as a technique, who's in charge of the technique? You are. You're the one in charge. And there's a great weakness now when you're in charge of the technique. But when you move into the context of wisdom wisdom, into discipline, when you allow someone or something to cut across your will, you do things you never thought possible because you don't want to do it. One more repetition, but I don't feel like it. One more repetition, but I don't feel like it. One more, oh, I did it. Oh man, my arms are sore. Oh, I'm growing. 
Now, seriously, if God has so ordained the patterns into personal trainers in reality, don't you think he's ordained it into his spiritual reality? Christian, how, how, how do we seriously think that we're going to grow and be wise and develop spiritual biceps if we are not moving into the context in which God says things by his master plan for us to do and we don't feel like doing it, but we do it anyway? You need to move into the context of discipline because wisdom grows in the context where you don't feel like making the wise decision. That's how you know you're making wise decisions most of the time, by the way. It's not what you feel like doing. (laughs) And so what it means for you this morning, are you putting yourself in the same context for growth as you are with your personal trainer or your financial planner? (laughs) And here's the thing, even Jesus did that, right? In the garden, he's praying on a rock and he says, Father, if it's possible, this is going to hurt. If it's possible, Lord, I don't feel like doing this. If it's possible, Lord, will you just, I don't know, can you find some other way that I have to do this thing? Because this seems ludicrous. This is stupid. And then what does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. Discipline is allowing someone, the ultimate someone, to cut across your will. I love this God. I love that he's got the nouse to swallow his own medicine. I love that he, he never asks you and I to do something that he's never been through himself before. You see, in Jesus Christ, he models what happens when you allow the ultimate someone to cut across your will. What, what was he doing in the garden? Discipline, the context for wisdom. And here's the question. Do you think that he just made that decision over the top of the rock because he felt like it? No, the guy's sweating blood. The disciples have fallen asleep. He, he's, he's, he's grieved almost to the point of death, the way that the scriptures describe it. You think, how's your Christianity working for you? <laughs> that's how we feel, right? When we have our own rocks in life, when we are, we are over the top of something, when we're, we're sweating blood, how's Christianity working for you now? How's the master plan working for you now? And yet the Christian says, not my will, but your will be done. How did Jesus become the sort of person that when he didn't feel like it and the universal gravity of what he was about to go through, the spiritual and the physical pain, how did he still say, not my will, but your will be done? Here's how he did it. It's a lifetime of left, right, left, right, left. Why was he always retreating? Why was he always withdrawing? Why is he always going up on the mountainsides to pray? Because he was always living in the scent of his father's aftershave. And in the darkest of his moments, when he knew that his father was right there with him, then he says, not my will, but your will be done. Only in Jesus, folks, do we see the perfect model of someone's approach to wisdom. Wisdom. Only do we see someone who grasped the great love of God, who grasped who he was, and grasped the master plan and didn't refuse the discipline or resent the discipline of his father because he just trusted in the one, as we say by the hymn, who is immortal, invisible, God only wise. That he veiled his divinity in order to live out his humanity, that even Jesus Christ had to go through the great mystery that is wisdom this side of heaven. 
That even he was veiled from the master's great grand plan in the garden, and yet he chose to live by its principle. Would you like to know how to get that sort of wisdom this morning? How do you get it? Painstakingly slowly. It's not going to be a bestseller, by the way, at Dimix this morning. But can we see in him, can we see that it's already been proven for you and I, that if we get our approach right, that if we stop trying to conform reality to ourselves, if we start trying to conform ourselves to his master plan, if we get who he is, who we are, who his master plan is, and if we move in and under his discipline, he will create you to be the sort of person where this wisdom just naturally flows from who you are. It's possible if you dare move into that this week. Let's pray.